0: You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend.
1: Welcome back, friends. Please make sure your pod seat and tray table are in their upright and locked position. The airlock is sealed and docking clamps have been released for an on-time departure to the Functional Nerdverse. I'm back. You're back. <laughs> Welcome I'm back. back. Yeah, it was... Um, <laughs> It was crazy times. I was visiting my dad up in Michigan in an area where the internet exists.
0: Kind of? Kind
1: of, yeah. And but, but actually, more of the problem was he he has this like lovely pine house that he has built next to one of the interior lakes. It's really cool. It's on some land that was in my mom's family for a really long time. And the entire friggin' house, except for one staircase, is hardwood. And giant picture windows, and so sound just careens everywhere. And there was just absolutely oh my god, four in the morning. He had he had Fox News and stuff on, and it wasn't off until <laughs> eight p.m. We we so, did yeah.
0: we did talk we did talk briefly while you were there. And what was interesting is you 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 sounded like a babe. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Mr. Wade. No, just yeah,
1: we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it would have though. It really would have because so yeah, me me making myself scarce for those couple of episodes was a good thing. But I'm back. So. <laughs> You're back.
0: Welcome back.
1: Yeah, I brought a guest with me too. Oh, nice, Yeah, I mean, I thought about it, and I'm like, who do you bring as sort of like a gift to say thanks for taking care of the pod while (laughs) I was gone, Patrick? And you say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to bring someone who's nominated for the Hugo Award right now. So we've we've got Alex Harrow back.
2: (laughs) How are you doing, Alex? I'm doing great. I feel like the uh, box wine. Of some gifts, <laughs> housewarming <laughs> gifts. I brought
1: Franzia. You. you go. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me back. It's really cool. So for those of you who have been tuned in to us for longer and listening to episodes more regularly, you may remember that about a year ago, plus or minus, we had Alex on for the first book in her duology of sort of fractured fables, Amir Amended. And that's the one that has actually been nominated for the Novella Hugo Award for this year at ShyCon 8. So by the time this episode airs, the great sorting hat of fate will have decided uh what happens with it but we 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 love you both ways alex but this time we're going to talk about spindle splintered and also you've got a you've got a book coming out in 2023 that was just announced by from tor
2: right oh yeah yeah but that's like forever away uh it keeps oh, moving alex. receding into the distance yeah,
1: into the distance
2: <laughs> yeah publication just because this, the pace of publishing right now i think is slower even than usual. And it was never known as like a really fast industry. Yeah. 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 So I turned it in. It is complete. I turned it in, in December of 2021. And I think it's now slated to come out in November of 2023. So someday, someday there'll be a book.
1: (laughs) All books are time machines that way, but you're right. It
2: does seem like it's getting more extreme. Yeah. At some point there's going to be like maybe people are nice to me, uh, interviews and podcasts and things about that book, and I'm going to be like, man, that was two and a half years ago. I have no <laughs> idea if I remember if I get the characters' names right, we'll be lucky. I mean, it's two and a half can years we, ago. Can we? Can we? It was
1: sold to say nothing of when it was yeah. written. Yeah. Can,
0: can we talk about your new book? Uh oh, right. Which book? The one, the one that, the one, no, the one that's been published. What? I had a book published. Well oh, yeah, did I no, write he's, it? he's, he's yeah.
2: imitating future. That's you. me. Yeah. That's me. Actually, I'll just play that clip for sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so so okay. Once again, asking you to kind of put yourself in the mental time machine of being an author with a spindle splintered. So with with a mirror mended, we're looking at the kind of entry this into the Spider Verse of Sleeping Beauty, but
2: with I think Amira, we've got a flipped. Right? Yeah. Spindle Splintered is, is Sleeping Beauty, and Mirror Mended is the one that just came out that is Snow White.
1: I, I know. I, I was, I'm yeah, getting okay. there.
2: Okay. And that a Mirror Mended is
1: the Snow White approach to it. But yeah. there's an additional layer of twist here, which I think is super cool, where the character that is asked to sort of intervene with isn't the heroine of the story. It's not Snow White. It's the evil queen. So... Mm. I I mean, walk us through this, this sort of like decision making process.
2: I mean, the first thing that I'll say is that I had never written any kind of a sequel before. Mm -hmm. Like everything I had done was like very standalone and very like a little pocket universe, a little ship in a bottle. You're done with it. All the character arcs are perfect. You never mess them up. And I kind of thought I was like, well, I'll just do a sequel And then I don't have to like reinvent world building and reinvent characters and tone is already determined to a large extent, you know, like, I was like, all these things will just be ready out of the box. And they were, but it turns out, uh, that means that's all those things that you shouldn't mess up. (laughs) And I found that terrifying. It was really hard. Um, People who just continuously put out books in long series, or like who can write in the same world, just effortlessly, like I'm thinking of Shauna McGuire's, Novella series with it, the, they're all just the like children, they stand yeah. the way we're children. They stand alone well, but they also work within the rules of the world that she set up. That's baffling and upsetting. I can't do that is what <laughs> I found out. <laughs> Obviously I'm very impressive. But no, so I i floundered quite a while with trying to think of like what kind of a sequel I wanted. And I, I knew what story I wanted to do, but I just didn't like it wasn't coming together well. And I um complained a lot to my friends as I do about everything. And one of the things I've done as a writer, I think my best move probably has been cultivating a group of friends who are smarter than me. So I got to be like, oh, like, I don't even know what a sequel is supposed to be. And then my friend Ashley Blooms, who was a very good writer, was like, oh, it's just supposed to be like mirror image of the first one. Like it has to have like if the first book, Spindle Splintered, was in some ways about like escape and leaving home and leaving your story, then the next one has to be like getting back home. If the first one is like, here's all the rules you can break of your story, then the next one has to be like, here's the ones you can't actually. And then that led me to like, if the first one was about the redemption or reclamation or whatever you want to say of the princess figure in fairy tales, then this one has to be about like her opposite, who is the evil queen or the witch or the, you know, the evil fairy, whatever she is. So that's how I got to the villain.
1: I think it's interesting, too, because thinking about the original framework of Snow White as, as a story... She is a heroine who's kind of already surrounded by a lot of allies. There's the mm-hmm. woodsman who refuses to actually take her heart and then reports falsely that he did it. There's the the seven dwarves. Eventually the prince who, by happenstance, happens to awake her and so on. And so, like, she's still plenty imperiled, but to... to- quote Eddie Izzard here she's also pretty fucking saved <laughs> at the same time and so like why why does she need this particular help so kind of getting past that as a narrative problem with snow white is your choice but yeah. focusing on the queen
2: yeah yeah and i mean i think one of the things that was kind of fascinating to me once i cuz i'd already picked snow white kind of just because it's one of the the big disneyfied retellings right like everyone really really knows it well i couldn't i didn't want to do a more obscure one and have people like so <laughs> you're doing a sideways retelling of a story that I don't even know. So it had to be like a big headline. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had to be kind of a headliner. Um, and I've always really liked Snow White. But then what was fun about it, it was like, it actually worked kind of in my like, we're going to call it world building loosely, even though it's very unscientific. Uh, it worked in my world building <laughs> because like, those stories have an incredible amount of overlap, Sleeping Beauty and Snow White. Like you've got the threatening female figure the threat of the curse you've got fleeing and being in hiding and then a cursed sleep or you know in the coffin she's dead she's whatever she's choking on apple and then like fixing it with a kiss and so like getting to play with those weird overlaps was really really fun
1: so okay i'm going to i want to explore this a little bit because you mentioned that you've always really liked snow white for me snow white has always been like bottom tier like i've i've never i've never Appreciated or enjoyed the story of Snow White, so please sell me on it. Like, what are oh, okay. what are the parts of Snow White that you're like, yes? Okay. <laughs> okay.
2: I mean, first of all, if you were the kind of kid who like really dug any story where like somebody could talk to animals and gets to live in the woods, like if Wild Magic was your favorite of the um, Tamora Pierce books, like mm-hmm. I was always very much like, and then she gets to live in that little cute cottage and she gets to talk to the little woodland creatures. That's great. That's living the life. But I also really think it does maybe more prominently than other fairy tales of this type do the opposition between the good woman and the bad woman, which is like not unique to it. Like this is a repeated theme, but like those two are in such perfect contrast to each other. So the good woman in fairy tales, right? She's young, she's virginal, she's pure, she's innocent, etc. cetera. And the bad woman is generally older and jealous and embittered and violent and generally powerful. And there is something about their opposition in the story that I think is really interesting and cool. And it always fascinated me for whatever reason that, like, they have to abide. Like, their battle between these two is Mm -hmm. fought out in these weird sideways ways like if she's this super powerful witch and queen and she knows exactly where Snow White is and she can like has enough magic to like make poison shit and transform herself it (laughs) feels like she could just kill her like, it does feel like you wouldn't have to be sneaky Lightning about hole,
1: it. cottage, boom. Yeah, and yeah. she's,
2: like, you know, 13 and singing with the bluebirds, so she's not going to see it coming. Like, I don't know. There's just something really, like, <laughs> she had to outwit her in these ways that I always really liked the tricks and the, like, the selling of the bodice lace and then the comb and then the apple. And, like, I just, I don't know. It's a, it's fascinatingly a romantic fairy tale there is the prince at the end there's the kiss but he like doesn't even come into it until the last two seconds of that story he has no part of it it is just these two women for whatever reason fighting it out in these um, obscure ways
1: (laughs) it is really i i hadn't thought about the indirectness of their conflict like it's this this very intense conflict that In a way, Snow White doesn't even know she's involved in until the business of the woodsman. And then she's like, oh, bye. And then after that, there's a (laughs) – the comparison here is really not fair, and I'm doing it deliberately to be – to be snarky but like there's a little bit of almost like a mr beanness where like the the queen keeps trying to like end her in these again like really indirect ways and like snow white keeps kind of like stumbling her way to safety somewhat unaware that she was imperiled that moment before Mm -hmm. until that the 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 very direct final conversation confrontation
0: of of the poisoned apple and all that is it is, is it mr bean or is it black adder
2: yeah it's a bit of the like spy versus spy or like it's just yeah. it's goofy there's something a little bit goofy about it and you're right that she's surrounded by allies and I when I was reading like other versions of Snow White to write the story like one of my favorite ones like first of all she always has allies like they're not always dwarves or whatever but there is always this like group of people that protect her and my favorite version I think it is Flemish is one where she it's a group of I think 21 thieves who okay. like she joins them and then later Prince comes and is like, "I defeated your evil mom. You can come out of hiding now." And she's like, "I'm all good." She just stays oh, up amazing. With she's <laughs> like, "I'm so gonna go amazing. hang with my gang here." Yeah, she's like, "I actually I got my boys and I'm all set," which is wonderful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I love that Snow White. We need her.
0: In the yeah. it, the 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 thing that always gets me is when you're you're reading The Witcher and you realize that it's fairy tales. Mm-hmm. And it's really dark and twisted fairy tales, and one of them is Snow White, mm-hmm. and it's it's Would not you? it's not a good one.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I mean, just like Sleeping Beauty, if you actually look into the like the passivity of and the weirdness of the, like a, a near child stuck in a near death state in a glass coffin, like yeah. there's a lot of. I mean, I think the Neil Gaiman retelling of Snow, Snow White, glass is, apples, yeah. yeah is goes down those roads of how extremely dark that is as a concept. Yeah,
1: I use snow glass apples in in a class that I teach. And it's one of the only texts where I, I authentically give trigger warnings before reading it. I'm like, look, kids, you may, this may just cross some lines for you. And if, if you need to bail at a certain point, which may or may not be this specific page, you go. Mm-hmm. I think, it, so I guess the idea, the Flemish story brings me to this question that I don't have a good answer for and maybe maybe you do because you've certainly done your homework so a lot of the the sort of critical reviews of both of these books have talked about them as sort of like feminist reimaginings of fables and fairy tales and it kind of makes me wonder do we need air quotes need retellings of fables and fairy tales in order to make them feminist or are there actually some, fables and fairy tales out there in extant forms or historical forms that kind of already are feminist and we just don't have on our radar or haven't thought about in that way
2: before? Oh, man. This is a big question. Okay. I have a (laughs) lot of feelings, and a lot of thoughts about this. Okay. So the first one is that I find myself sometimes pushing back against the thing of like, oh, these are feminist fairy tales, even though obviously that is what I'm writing in some sense. I think I object a little bit to this idea that you can read any text or consume any media and there's just a binary switch somewhere that is like feminist, anti-feminist. And I just don't think that that's a useful critical lens in some ways. In part because even if you look at the most like old school, straight up misogynist, like the, these stories that we are dealing with, there are elements of them that I think are empowering in some ways for women and marginalized genders. Because like, if you think about it, the this particular canon of what we'll call Grimm's fairy tales, even though like, they're not theirs and blah, 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 they have a complicated history, are some of the most popular and enduring stories that actually have female protagonists. Not all, not all of them do. But some of the most memorable ones are these stories about, you know, like little peasant girls that turn into queens or princesses that were cursed, but then reclaim their power, like, in some ways within the very sort of bounded realities that were possible for women through most of Western history, they are success stories of women. And I think they were retold because people felt empowered reading them. You know, like, why did Cinderella survive so much? It's because this woman who's treated like complete shit ends up owning everyone. That's actually kind of a great. That's like hitting elements that are very, very satisfying to people who don't have that power in their lives. Mm -hmm. That is a fantasy for a reason. And I don't think that's invaluable. So I think that doing a feminist retelling of a fairy tale does not always necessitate fundamentally changing the fairy tale. However,
1: (laughs) I will also say
2: that some of their retellings have been specifically altered in ways that actually make them less feminist than they even were to begin with in some ways. So like, when you are looking at Disney of the 50s through 70s, you are not looking at something that is like, yeah, this is a story about a girl empowering herself. You know, they're trying to replicate very particular visions of what an ideal straight hetero girl looks like in society. And and they kind of invent the Disney princess in a way that is like indelible in society. And it's not just them. Like you have the earlier wave of like, why were the Grimms first translated into English and when? That's Victor- late Victorian era Britain, which also had a vested interest in sort of codifying what gender relations should look like, what femininity should look like and domesticity. And so like the ways those stories are retold at that moment and the stories that are selected to be retold are sort of filtered down through a very particular lens. So I think it is very fair to take those interpretations and wreck them a different way. You know, like I think we get to keep retelling those in ways that reflect our values at the time.
0: Basically, it comes down to the translator changing it yeah and and just and not even and, and that, that, that happens all the time. yeah, I mean, that's happened throughout time the the yeah. person who who is who is translating it or the person who's paying to have the story translated wants it done a certain way,
2: yeah. like translation itself is a huge amount of power and just selecting the stories, choosing to retell the stories. and then the way yep. they even present the stories, like Grimm in particular is like the perfect example because they're presented kind of to the world and understood as like these authentic peasant tales that were collected out in the wild and this is what the people of Europe really were you know this is like this invented history of what is true but really it's like these two anthropologists slash um, nationalists who were going into the German countryside and desperately trying to find something like a German identity for the newly formed (laughs) German state because there, there really wasn't it's just a bunch of disparate cultures and they're like we can we can find something that feels like this is inherently German and they did it for nationalist reasons, and so like the ways that they're spread and these fairy tales being authentic is very much part of this project to create an understandable and legible European white identity. And so like you're allowed to do whatever you want with them now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tracy's I think nodding. she's nodding. Well, like, I'm... yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, I'm thinking about this also because you mentioned the idea of translation. And translation, of course, isn't just this process of like, I'm going to take the set of words from language set A and move them over into language set B. Et voila, I have helped you understand language set A in the original. A lot of it comes down to choices about how to kind of package that information. And, you know, famously, this is... Not a fairy tale thing at all, but I think it's a great example of how untrustworthy the sort of translation process fundamentally is. When King James in Britain yep. was trying to sort of, he's trying to situate himself. as as an acceptable ruler, knowing that he's coming in from Scotland, knowing that uh, he comes from from a Catholic background originally, uh, and that's a very fraught thing and all of that sort of stuff. And he's like, okay, cool. How do I do this? How do I make the public accept me? And he decides to go the route of religion. I'm going to commission a, a Bible that is written for the consumption of the people, the King James Bible. Hey, you scholars, go off and do this. Not fully appreciating that the scholars he had commissioned to do this work on on his behalf and for this grand project were aware that, A, he was not a terribly successfully closeted gay man, and that, B, they really hated him for that. (laughs) putting all other issues of identity and politics aside. And so some of in the world of anti-LGBTQ propagandism and homophobia and so on, some of the language drawn from the Bible, I'm using air quotes here, that's used to condemn people who are in non-hetero relationships and so forth, are actually drawn from simplified Americanized versions from the King James Bible. Because in addition to translating the King James Bible from Greek, Latin, so on and so forth, if you go back to like the Septuagint and so on, like all those original texts that feed into what we think of a Christian Bible as looking like, there are literal lines added that don't exist, that just Mm -hmm. appeared in the King James Bible. But since the King James Bible itself is these days considered to be too ornate for many people's everyday consumption, it's fed into common use Bibles that folks use in their Bible studies, in, in the pews of their, of their churches and so on, without appreciating that there's this lineage that gets them a text that has not just been translated, but has in fact been manipulated and seeded with material that is not reflective of the origin points of the text.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's, that's the story of every translation for sure. Right. Like I just read the, um, I'm going to reach for it so I can show it to you, but I don't see it right now. The Emily Wilson, uh, translation of the Odyssey. Oh, I I'm not familiar. You...
1: Okay. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. I <feel> it's, <laughs> it's so good. Because like you have to,
2: but yeah. yeah. It's, it's really, really, really good. And it's one of the reasons it's really, really good is because the first 40 pages of the book are just an introduction about the previous translations that have been done of, of the Odyssey and like why she made the choices that she made. And she makes these very compelling points about like, the people who were translating it in late Victorian era. Again, this is a time where many power structures are codified. Anyway, we're doing so with particular purposes in mind. And they were choosing language that still felt They wanted it in some sense to be inaccessible, right? Like this was not supposed to be for the common man. This is for like Oxford scholars, right? Like you're supposed to achieve a certain level of whatever before you're like reading the Odyssey. And she argues it's the same that we are still using translations from the forties and earlier in classrooms for basically similar reasons that we don't think the Odyssey should be easy, even though it's originally an oral poem, right? Like this is something that was for the people and it's a story. And so I think the first line of the Odyssey and like most versions that are used in classrooms is something like "Sing to me, O muses, the tale of a great and complicated and a blah blah blah." It goes on for like four lines, and her first line is "Tell me the story of a complicated man." And it is just, it is rendered beautifully. It is very clear. There's all the stuff that she has returned to the text. Like some versions took out mentions of slavery and changed those to servants. Some versions changed descriptions of Penelope to be more feminine when the original she's described in different ways. Like there's all these fascinating things that I love. And actually, since we're talking about translation, can I, I already picked my pick of the week and it fits in so perfectly that I just want to say it now yeah sure we could like we're in no rules have you guys heard of i'm sure you have rf kuang's newest book Babel, that is out in a couple of weeks i think less than a month i know about the poppy war of course because you right. can't not but but right, i don't you know about not. this one yeah right so that was her original tri- trilogy and this new book is called babble mm-hmm. and i don't know if you know anything about the author but she i believe is finishing a doctorate in linguistics Okay. So she's very deeply invested in this stuff. And this book is an alternate 1840s Oxford where magic is translation.
0: And oh. it's like the
2: translators, they require. So it's like the empire gathering translators and native speakers to this one tower, the Tower of Babel. And then they're translating texts and the differences, the gaps between the, what the two words mean are where magic is. And I just think that's so cool. It is so good. <laughs> I loved it so much. <laughs> and it's who's really the cool. author again? R.F. Quang. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, uh, you open up a can of worms here, Tracy, especially <laughs> with me, that. because because this is one of the things that I've, I've been fascinated by is the King James Bible. Mm-hmm. And everything that went into that, because it's not only the, the choice of translation and the injection of certain phrases and words, it's also, let's go out and gather up all the stories and all the gospels and everything that that people are teaching. Let's gather it all up and put it in a room and pick the ones that go in.
1: Yeah. It's curation is really yeah. what we're, you know.
0: And so that's why we have the Gnostic gospels, mm-hmm. right? These are the ones that didn't make it into the book, <laughs> Yeah. But they're yeah. still out there. They were being taught. They were being told. They were being and then you also have the thing where both of you have made this point. Like this this was not a like when when people don't read mm-hmm. and the common people don't read, this book is not necessarily for them. This is for yeah. the people who are going to stand up at a pulpit and and you know preach. <laughs> and say things. And then they're going to say, oh, no, this is the way it is. Whatever yeah, whatever you heard before, that's not the way it is. It's this now because it's in the book. See, it's here in the book. Can you, you read this? No. That's oh, official. well, it's here. It's in the yeah. book. It's official. And, and that, I think, has created a mess in a lot of ways.
2: Yeah, and that process of selection is, like, the key. Because, like, I have it here. Again, I can't find the book to wave at you guys. But um, it was a recently published uh, The Turnip Princess. And it's, it's not specifically The Grimm's, but it's basically popular German folklore that was recorded but was never published of, from the same era. <laughs> Didn't make the cut. So it's basically the stories that the Grimm's were like, well, I don't know what that is. That doesn't fit our project yeah. at all. So they're more pagan. They're weirder. They're way weirder. They don't often have moral, tidy moral lessons, like the villains don't get punished. The good guys don't get rewarded. And they resemble, in some ways, a lot more folkloric traditions from non-European places, which is very satisfying to see.
0: <laughs> it's for me it's it's really interesting. I I've always loved this kind of stuff. I also love the you know the Dead Sea scrolls and <laughs> stuff that they're finding in there. And you know me being me and loving conspiracy theories and all that good stuff like a like a good American. I also love the Vatican vault.
2: I don't know what the because, Vatican vault is. You got to tell me what that is.
0: It's it's a secret vault where they keep stuff.
2: Oh, I mean, that's names on the, on the, yeah, t- I mean, I mean, but <laughs> on they,
0: the they, will, they will, they will purchase things. They will purchase things and they will put them in the vault or they will, uh, uh they will gather things and put them in the vault where no one can see them again.
2: Oh, great. So I who knows, that. who knows what's, what's in, in the there? Vault? Like
0: you can, you can go there and you can, you can request and sometimes they'll let people see stuff, but a lot of times, you know, stuff just stays in the vault. It's kind of like Disney. it's like Disney puts stuff in the vault and they only bring it out every once in a while but you know you never never
1: coming out again like Song of the South yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah.
2: I feel like it could have a pretty entertaining like a Venn diagram of like the Vatican and Disney and how they're still
0: you know, Dude, I I I, going I don't to want Dan to take us, on us here. Kevin. I don't I don't want to take us down the the full conspiracy theory stuff. But I mean, there are there are texts that are ancient texts that are in the Vatican vault, mm-hmm. and they they come at it from you know publicly as from a, a standpoint of we're preserving it. Right? Yeah. We're going to preserve it. We're going to preserve it in our vault. We're going to make sure that it doesn't, you know,
2: I mean, oxygen argument, doesn't make it fall
0: apart. Blah 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 the blah That's the argument blah.
2: of every imperialist who has things yeah. that should belong to other
1: yeah. people. Yeah, send Tom Hanks to look into it. It's the only. <laughs> this is the only solution we have. <laughs> now, I do think that there's, you know, it's. It, the The business of retellings, which has been very much in vogue uh, in the world of SFF for about 10 years or so now in, in different spaces, is really interesting because I think in a lot of ways it's current generations, current authors trying to kind of like engage in the discourse of the original piece in some way and trying to like inflect it somehow like you know you've put it much more succinctly with sort of like I'm gonna sort of fuck it up from a different angle (laughs) but I just sort of like how do you sort of wreck this story but when you're when you sort of wreck it there's still this kind of foundation to it and way back at the beginning of the episode you were talking about your anxiety about writing a sequel and the advice you got about how the sequel is sort of the mirror image of the first so what what then for Snow White is sort of like the wreck the building but the foundation is this
2: Yeah, I mean, I first of all, I'll say that in general, I think retellings are sort of always in vogue. I think they're just one of those things that we are always doing. Um, And and there's moments where it gets like more marketing pushes, and you seem to see more of a certain type of retelling than another. Like there's definitely trends, but like when I go back, and even I I, even if I'm just starting at a wiki page for a well-known fairy tale, (laughs) you can read that list of like iterations of it. And there's not huge gaps, right? Like we're we, have, we are doing this in some version or another. There's operas, there's graphic novels, there's plays, there's every version of it. So I, I mean, like this is just a, a habit that humans have is we want to retell the same stories. And I think one of the reasons we want to do that is because the more you tell a story, the more it's sort of just burned into your brain matter, like uh, culturally, yeah. and like you know it, and therefore you recognize the deviations for being intentional and on purpose more so than you can sometimes in an original story. Like if I just make up a story with like princesses and witches and blah, blah, blah. And I can make it, you know, not adhere to any structure, known structures at all. It sometimes I feel like would have less power than if it's like, here's the story that you think, you know, and here's the ways that I'm changing it. Cause our brain hits those little like changes in ways that I think are really, are kind of like a neat storytelling tool. And I'd like yeah. to play with that a lot, but for Snow White, so once I decided that your main character is the witch and not the girl, not the princess, it all kind of falls together. Right. Because like, then I had two main characters between Zinnia from the last one and this one who had a very fraught relationship to happily ever after, which I happily for who? Yeah. Happily for who? Like the end of the story doesn't work out great for them on a couple of levels and like even though we live in an era of retellings and particularly there's been a lot of villain retellings like what female villain has not gotten her weird disney spin-off movie at this point <laughs> i find those sometimes unsatisfying in part because they often root that story and their relatability like the redemption of a female villain is often centered around the traumas that they've encountered and experienced right like that's what made them and i understand that but i don't like lingering in that very much um and it feels like a uh, it feels like a fraught expression of our understanding of women's power right like something like men can just kind of be powerful and women have to apparently be unlocked by some fucking terrible thing that happened to them which i i don't love i had a little bit of that relationship with Cersei in particular the book but so I wanted to like dodge around this like here's why she's terrible she had this horrible thing and we're gonna like explore that trauma but also like how do you give a character who has made morally gray and suspect choices a happy ending that doesn't completely break the story that she's in and then Zinnia is chronically ill, terminally ill. And how do you give her a happily ever after that doesn't feel like it's a betrayal of her identity or a denial of like her, her actual lived experience. Cause it didn't feel right to just be like, they had bad stories, but like now it's fine. It's all fine. Don't worry about it. Happily ever after. Um, and so I kind of settled on trying to find a way to get to, they lived happily rather than they lived happily ever after. Um, In part, because that's sort of where I'm emotionally at, having lived through this endless fucking pandemic and the many, many stresses that it has put on everyone. Uh, You know, I mean, a series of overlapping apocalypses, it feels like. And it just feels like it has become very important to me to be like, you know, finding happiness where we are rather than looking for permanence. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: You know, when a, you mentioned the 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 trope at this point of the you know trauma brings power, I I, I really liked that Gail Simone mm-hmm. when she she always wanted to write Red Sonia, when she got to write Red Sonia, she took out the trauma, and she redid the backstory, and and it completely worked, and everybody loved the story, and you know, boom, Red Sonia's sales are going through the roof, and everything's fine. And then she leaves the book and the male authors come back and they put the trauma back. Mm-hmm.
2: It does, <laughs> it's like, it what does, the does tend to happen. It does tend to happen. And it's not always wrong. Like I also want to leave space for like I know plenty of people that have survived traumatic things that like the idea of that transforming into something that is not victimhood, you know, like the idea of taking something horrible and making something cool and badass out of it. I'm totally sympathetic to that. I just think like it shouldn't be
0: all the stories,
2: right? You're right, right. <laughs> it shouldn't be every
0: single story, which tends to to be yeah. what happens. Yeah, that's the trope, right? So the 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 male character gets gets bitten by a radioactive spider and and, and gets you know superpowers. The female character gets raped, <laughs> which seems pretty chill. Like, what like, the hell? I, The spider
2: is fine. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely.
1: <sighs> so that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're actually exactly on target for picks of the week plus minus one i think maybe what we uh maybe maybe we'll revisit your pick during picks of the week and you can <laughs> you can just kind of um wax prosaic about uh prosodic Pros- i don't know you're gonna wax some shit um <laughs> let's do it Picks
0: of week. Week. all right
1: so patrick do you want to get us started
0: here sure i i you know uh To stay with the theme, I've got one pick, but I originally had a different pick. So I'm going to pick them both Uh, to kind of stay with the theme. Have you have you seen uh, The Princess on Hulu?
1: Bad at TV. That's a no.
0: I wasn't asking you. (laughs) (laughs) I have not. So The Princess on Hulu is a young actress who I have no idea who she is. She's probably really famous. I, I don't keep up with these things. And the the, the the concept is that the castle it has been taken. She was uh, drugged and locked in the tower. The intention is that the bad guy is going to marry her to cement his power. And then he's A going classic. to take over the kingdom. Yeah. So your, classic, your classic story. Uh, the twist is – that she has never liked being a princess. She has never liked the court stuff. And she has secretly trained with like ninjas. Like two, love it. We love two, it. two people who are in the court who know martial arts and, and weapons and all this kind of stuff. And they've kind of trained her since she was little. And so uh, when the bad guys come in to, to get her ready for the, the wedding or something, she beats the crap out of them. And then she's, the, the entire movie is kind of like her moving down the castle in a, in a diehard kind of way where I she's just it. taking out all it's these like bad level. guys. <laughs> oh my God. It is so good. Uh-huh. I, I was really impressed with it. And, you know, and, uh, shit happens and, you know, twists and turns, but yeah, it's it, the, the, the first part is just her trying to get down that tower. She's that. She's been locked in and, uh, yeah, it's it's really really good. It's really good. I like it. The other one I was going to pick just because uh, we haven't been able to pick it because we haven't talked about it, is the Sandman, which is on mm. Netflix, which just yesterday dropped two bonus episodes. Oh, it's which two. Which I thought was pretty was cool. Oh, okay, all right. Well, they, they do it as they it they do it as one, but it's split into two. Oh.
2: Okay. So it's based on right. it's based
0: on two separate issues of the Sandman. Uh, Uh, one is the, the dream of a thousand cats and the other one is Calliope. Okay. And so they, they put those two together and, uh, did another great, great couple of episodes. So it's like bonus. (laughs) (laughs) So those are my picks, Tracy.
1: That's fantastic. All right. So Alex, you were talking about Babel before. Um, so I, and I
2: stand by it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I don't. I don't want you to feel like you have to spoil anything here, but, like, the, the distance between word and word in two different languages and that's where the magic happens, like... Like, what does the magic look like? Like, what can you do with the magic?
2: Okay. I mean, I could go into this because I think each choice is very intelligently informed by both linguistics and history itself. So this is also the Opium Wars and the Silver Wars of the 1840s. So that is all wrapped into this one book. So what they do is they inscribe one side of a silver bar with one word in one language and the other side with its corresponding word. And then the distance between those is the effect that those bars will have. And I'm trying to think of an example and I'm coming up loose partly because a lot of it involves Chinese words and none of those have stuck in my head. Um, but it'll be things like, uh, if one word to heal means just to heal like physically, but the Chinese original word meant emotional and physical healing, then that emotional healing will be like carried through. And that's what it'll help like have those effects. Um, But it's mostly, I mean, it's a dark academia novel in kind of the classic sense of like a secret history or something. Um, But with the people who are pulled in from the colonies to be the translators for Empire. And at first it's this like, oh my God, we're privileged. We're at Oxford. We're treated like, you know, they're experiencing sort of the the riches of Empire. And it's the slow decline of their realizing what they're lending their skills and their knowledge (laughs) to. And it's really well done. So I love that. My other pick though, purely because I thought of it while you were um, talking about <laughs> the princess is prey. I believe also. Yo, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have you guys yeah. seen that? Um, oh yes. I had never seen a single predator movie because I'm a huge, huge chicken. Um, but every now and then I can now, <laughs> I can now as an adult make exceptions and watch one. If my brothers tell me that I have to, and they were like, you gotta. So we watched it and it was fantastic.
0: Oh, it's amazing. It. it is amazing. Yeah. Love that movie. I want the dog too. By the way,
2: I, yeah. I, I, Apparently, I, I the dog was, was rescued yeah.
1: specifically to act in the film. Mm-hmm. It was like rescued by a family that provides dogs to films, and they they had this film role in mind when they rescued the dog. Like to think that there's like,
2: I don't know, like the dog um, casting agents who are like, I yeah, don't know. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk about the perfect job. you be like that could
1: be <laughs> that could be your next your next career move, there, Patrick. The dogs all like you anyway. Like, <laughs> I know they'll show me their best. So
2: come on over. And yeah. the, the human star Amber Mid Thunder should be in everything moving forward. Oh I would God, like to yeah. see her just give and, her a and role.
0: And I, I know you probably haven't looked at it yet, Tracy. There's mm-hmm. also there's two there's two versions of the film. Oh, yeah? One in English, More one in Comanche. in Comanche. Wow. Yep. There's a Comanche dub. That'd be really cool. Which is pretty freaking awesome. Yeah.
1: That is really cool. We um, all television that happens on Shaytowns and happens with subtitles um, because audio mixing is crap these days and nothing makes sense. So, yeah, we could go the Comanche route and it wouldn't we wouldn't miss a beat. So that'd be really cool. All
0: right. It's an awesome movie.
1: Patrick was teasing me before um, about picks of the week. This was, I think, when we were still in the green room. And he's like, and yours, you know, picks of the week. uh, uh, She always chooses a game. and like, fine, I'm choosing a game. Um, So Deirdre's birthday was uh, just last weekend. She turned 11. Way to go, kid. Keep racking up the not strangled by us
0: points. Um, I I would like to point out that that was not cleared through me. I did not say that she could turn 11. I mean, so.
1: you've I also met her. She just she just takes if you won't give. Um, <laughs> so anyway, she uh, she's a great lover of games and has grown up in that kind of environment with us. And we got as one of her birthday gifts five minute mysteries. Um, so there's the whole sort of five minute genre of games Uh, and they come in lots of different forms. It's like five minute dungeon and five minute Marvel and five minute, you know, it's not quite diffused in the same way that like Munchkin or, or like love letter is, but it has a little bit of that vibe to it. Um, And the whole idea behind the five minute mysteries game is it's, it's partly app driven um, and it has really fun, cool bits, but the idea behind it is you uh, and however many people you're playing with, it takes up to five are people trying to solve mysteries at the museum of everything. And it's always a matter of something has been stolen from the museum of everything. And there are all these different scenarios that change the rules slightly with each scenario. But the deal is there's always a timer and the five minute mysteries is really just a blanket descriptor. Sometimes you have 10 minutes, sometimes you have seven, it varies a bit, but they're always really short. You have this really super cool codex item, which like it, it look it does look like something from a Dan Brown book. And honestly, like you you like flip it around, and there are all these sorts of symbols. And basically, every room from which something was stolen, there's a card, and strange symbols have been drawn all over, but hidden within the pictures. Um, of the room, sort of vandalized. And so we have to find the right symbols of the different types. Everybody else at the table is looking at them and shouting out the symbol type. Someone's manipulating the codex. Once you manipulate the codex, you manage to find a clue to see if the clue lines up to successfully describe one of the potential suspects. You have a hand of suspects, all of whom are ridiculously well-drawn, fun, imaginative, um, anthropomorphic animals. There's like a fox who's a chimney sweep or like a walrus who's the curator. Um, there's like a lizard in a sort of like so like Beatrix uh, early... Potter
2: Clue characters <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's like a, a Edwardian bonneted uh, lizard woman who's licking her eyeball in the middle of the thing mm-hmm. um, the whole deal and you have to winnow down based on several different possible configurations of items that they're wearing and positions they could be standing in who it was um, and if you don't do it by the end of the timer then the, the thief makes off with the stuff It's simple in terms of the rules. You can get someone who's pretty young and has a very low attention span to do it, but it also requires a lot of cooperation. It's fun. It's fast-paced. And best of all, despite the fact that it operates on all these visual cues, my son, who's colorblind, didn't have any problem navigating the hidden images and pictures, which is usually a problem for us because they tend to be color-coded in ways that aren't helpful. Um, So yeah, I highly recommend if you want something that plays well for people who maybe aren't super game comfortable or aren't sure that they want to commit a lot of time to a game and don't deal well with competition maybe, but they they are fine with cooperation, try out Five Minute Mysteries. We had a good time.
0: Very cool.
1: right, so... Oof, that was a lot. Sometime in the future, the <laughs> underland will come out reputedly in 2023 in the present though, you can get a mirror amended and a spindle splintered and where else can people find you and your cool stuff, Alex?
2: Oh, still on Twitter. I'm, I'm trying to quit, yeah.
1: <laughs> but I'm on Twitter
2: at Alex E hero.
1: I'm getting down to the point that I'm really just sort of like blasting functional nerd stuff a couple times yeah. a week mm-hmm. and every now and again, liking people's things. I'm, I'm, I'm fading into the West. Yeah. I do
0: that, that and Wednesday doodles. So. Mm -hmm.
1: Yep. Yep. All right. Well, thanks so much for being with us, Alex. Thanks so much. This
0: was great. Well, time, probably past time for a new bumper. If you liked this episode, thanks. (laughs) We liked making it for you. There's lots of ways you can support us moving forward. If you did like this episode, You could give us a review at Apple or Google Podcasts on Stitcher, Spotify, etc. There's lots of places out there. Wherever you listen to this podcast would be a great spot to go give us a couple stars, write a little review, tell folks how great we are. It would help. You could follow us on Twitter. Our account there is at FN underscore podcast. If you do that, please help us boost the signal by retweeting our stuff. You could take a look at our Facebook page and click like on it. Eh, I don't do a lot there, but it's a necessary evil. You could back us over at patreon.com slash functional nerds and throw a couple bucks our way each month. You could tell your friends about us and turn them onto the show. Any or all of that would be awesome, and I would really appreciate it, Todd. Now that this episode is over, you can also consider checking out our friends over at Beyond the Trope. Giles and Michelle put out an episode a week, just like we do, and they talk to writers, artists, and creatives from all over the place. They have a huge back catalog of episodes and have a lot of fun doing it, which comes through in their weekly episodes. So check them out over at beyondthetrope.com. As always, thanks for listening. And don't forget to tip your server on the way out. Mr. Carpiers, you got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. If you've, if you've never listened to the podcast, there, there's, there's two different styles here. There's, there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions. And then, oh, squirrel. Oh, for God's sake. Patrick Louise. (laughs) Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast?
1: (laughs) That's probably a good enough signal.
0: (laughs) When someone comes up to me and says, hey, I really love what you do. I'm like, I'm sorry. Do you know who I like? I think you have me confused with someone else.
1: The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff.
0: My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited.